1: Get Good evening and welcome to episode 155 for Slamfire Radio. Today is May the 13th, 2016. Hey, it's Friday the 13th, everybody. Good um, Yeah. I'm one of your hosts, Kelly Lynn.
0: And I'm Adrian show. I'm Trevor Frillot.
1: And Matthew's missing.
0: He's on assignment. He MIA. is. Apparently oh. it's a, a top-seeker assignment because he didn't tell us where he was going. He's just like, <laughs> I planned poorly and I can't come play. My mom won't let me out of the house.
1: Hmm. Who's this mom? Jewel? Uh,
0: Yeah, yeah, there you go. (laughs) My Jewel won't let me come out and play with you guys.
1: Uh, All right. Trevor, what did you do in uh, Guns this week?
0: All kinds of stuff. As you guys know, and uh, the listeners that caught the live show last week, I was live at Castle Filthy, home of the Empire, or the Empire Rocks. And... um, we got to go to Base Gage Town mm-hmm. and um, tour some Leopard Tanks, the Canadian Armed Forces tank that they use. I heard so many different acronyms and designations thrown at me. It just my eyes glossed over, but it was pretty awesome. Filthy's got a buddy down there um, who also happens to be the gunsmith who built my M1 grand and is working on my M305. Well, he is a weapons tech for Gagetown, and he works on tanks all day long. That's all he does, is work on tanks. Like, hello? I said to him, I said, this isn't like coming to work, is it? He's like, no. No, it's not. So, it was amazing. They had a, a turret completely removed from a tank,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so I got to see the turret from a pretty unique perspective Mm because you could see all the controls from the outside and it's like wow, people get in this thing and next thing you know we were crawling on top of a leopard tank and I was crawling inside and I was in the gunner's seat and I was in the commander's seat and uh, he was over on the uh, gunner's side not the gunner's side, the the guy who loads the driver? yeah, the loader loader. we didn't get around to the driver's section unfortunately which would have been really awesome but
1: Mm.
0: not a lot of space
1: no. Hey, do you know that Kevin was a, a gunner in a lumber tank for three years?
0: No, I did not. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: So he'd know all about it and how tight yeah. it
1: was. Yeah. You should get him to send uh, to show you some pictures from back then.
0: All right. Kevin, if you're listening, send me over some leopard pictures, not cougar yeah. pictures. So that would be <laughs>
1: <him. coughs> He's sending you pictures of me. <laughs>
0: Thank you for stepping up and going there. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, you're not a cougar because Kevin's not in his 20s. So I guess. No, but he
1: is younger
0: than me. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) After the leopard tanks, there is a military museum on base full of guns. It was awesome. And it's kind of a history of Canadian conflicts or conflicts that Canadians have been involved with. So there's a you know a uh, World War One display, World War II display, Korea, peacekeeping, um, some captured weapons on display. So we got to see a lot of Kalishnikovs and some pretty cool stuff like that. So that was awesome. Then we headed over to the Fredericton Gun Shop, and the Fredericton Gun Shop is changing every time I go in there. It's mo- there's more and more done. Derek, um, Chris, I think I said Derek. Chris is the guy with the leopard tanks. Derek is another weapons tech who retired from Gagetown. And the guy who shows us around the um, firearms museum, the machine gun museum that Filthy takes us to once in a while. So not only does Derek work in the museum, he uh, works at Fredericton gun Shop. So when we get in there, when we go in there, we get the red carpet treatment. He comes out from the back, and he's taking guns out. And I got to do that thing again where the the lady who um, works there—I think it's the owner's husband or she's a co-owner or whatever—she pulls this uh, gun out from underneath the counter, and she's like, "Would you like me to unlock it for you?" I'm like, "No, I got it." And I took a key <laughs> out of my pocket.
3: I unlocked it myself.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they're all using uh, the—I've uh, got one right here actually—bell uh, those Belloc locks that were given out back when the uh, Firearms Act, not the Firearms Act, but C-68 came into effect. They were giving away gun locks all over the place. So anyway, um, checked out some guns there. Scored a really good deal on a box of 300 Savage. Didn't realize how good it was until I left. And so I asked Filthy to go back and get me the other box. I got them for like a buck a piece. Really? So yeah, so 300 Savage. I don't find it every day and when I do, it's upwards of 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. So this was stuff that came in on an estate sale, so it's perfectly good ammunition but since they didn't get it from their supplier, they just kind of blow it out at a buck a shell. So <laughs> I picked that up and um, Derek's been, since Derek's been working there, he's been working in the gunsmithing part, expanding it, cleaning it up. There's a, an upstairs section that is like gun storage. Got to tour that. I got to see their future reloading shop. They're going to They've got this one room that's just going to be for reloading ammunition. That's pretty awesome. They've got, this is cool. For the reloading benches, they got their hands on some old bowling alley lanes. The stuff is like three inches thick hardwood. It's the wow. perfect tabletop. You know it's flat and level. You know it's hard. You know it's heavy. So you can bench, screw a screw a press on that, and it's not moving when you're resizing or whatever. A lot of antique reloading equipment around, too. I got some pictures of that and sent over to my co-hosts at the Reloading Podcast. They got a kick out of some of that stuff and how old it was. Uh, what else did we do there? I think that's all we did there. Then we went shooting, me, Filthy, and the Squire. And um, I took my thirty out 6 with me, and I had installed my new Vortex Viper HS. Oh, so sweet. Nice. Yeah, real Nice. Quite a, quite a, like every time you step up in the Viper line, you can see where the money went. The turrets are really nice. The 30 millimeter tube, lots of light, 44 millimeter objective, adjustable objective on the side. I sighted it in at 100. Um, and fire some brass. So right now, if I was to take it hunting tomorrow, I'm using Hornady Superformance until I develop a load for it. So I had a bunch of .30-06 Winchester brass prepped, so I brought it with me just to fire-form. So I fired all that stuff after the rifle was sighted in. So now I've uh, taken that home. My Sinclair trimmer arrived, so I've been processing brass this week as well. So all those fire-formed cases I neck-sized, and then trim them all to the exact same length on my Wilson trimmer. That Wilson trimmer is amazing. It's touted to be the world's most accurate trimmer, and I believe it because those cases come off of there absolutely the same. Like, I run everyone through the calipers when it comes off, and there's not a – you couldn't you, – you'd take better calipers than I have to see if there's a difference between the cases when they come off of the trimmer. The only downsides to this trimmer, it's designed this way to make it accurate – the piece of brass goes inside a die, essentially, that centers the brass in the press or into the trimmer, and it's, it ensures that you've got ca- perfect contact between the cutter head and the brass, and it holds the brass in the trimmer basically the same way it would hold it in the chamber of your rifle. So it's very accurate. It's not in and out of a chuck but or a shell holder, but you've got to tap it into that that die, and then tap it out of the die. So there's a there's an extra step involved in putting the brass in and out of the trimmer. You don't have to put it into a shell holder, and you don't have to put it into a chuck of a drill or anything. You have to tap it in, trim, remove the die, tap the brass out of the die. But I think it's kind of a trade-off. You're you're upping your your quality and your precision, but you're slowing down the process a little bit. So whatever, it's fine.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Also, when I was down in Fredericton, I got to break in my limited custom, and I got to sight it in, and it is by far the most well by far. It is definitely the most accurate handgun I've ever fired. The Extreme line of pistols. One of the differences between the Extreme line and the regular line is they've put polygonal rifling in all these barrels, and mm-hmm. you can, you can tell a difference. Some of the tightest groups I've ever fired out of a uh, forty caliber pistol, um, uh, standing there seven putting them all in one hole sitting on the bench at 10 meters putting them all in one hole sunday i went out shooting with muffin to play with my 308 and see what kind of i'm still having issues with the lapua brass i talked about how it was cracking Mm -hmm. i gave out of 100 pieces i gave muffin 10 pieces i found four pieces that weren't cracked really yeah out of, wow. my, out of what I had left over, I had four pieces that weren't cracked. The pieces that I gave Jason, the 10 pieces I gave Jason, were factory fresh, never touched. So so oh, you so think it is? So, so uh, someone else's rifle cracked him as well? No, I'm going to get to that. Here's the yeah. interesting thing. While I was in Fredericton with Filthy, um, Chris, the guy who built my Garand, mm-hmm. he used his go, no-go gauges. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about head spacing gauges and chamber gauges. I wasn't using those terms correctly. Um, a headspace gauge and a chamber gauge, from my understanding now, it's the same thing. They're called go and no-go gauges. You put a go gauge in the chamber of your rifle and the bolt should close. If the bolt doesn't close, your chamber's undersized. Then you have a no-go gauge. When the no-go gauge goes in the chamber, the bolt should not close. If the bolt does close, your chamber's too long, too big, excessive headspace, what have you. So when he put the go/no go no-go gauges in my chamber, everything worked fine. Uh. So I explained to him that the Lapua brass was cracking, the Winchester brass was not. He said, "Well, Lapua brass is harder, so it will crack rather than stretch like the Winchester." That being said, it's quite possible that you actually are the first human in the history of <laughs> reloading to get a bad brass Lapua brass, a bad batch of Lapua brass. All right. Fast forward to Sunday. Jason and I are on the range. Sorry, Muffin and Muffin has 10 pieces of Milo brass that he reloaded on his own equipment using his method of reloading, but we're shooting the exact same recipe, same powder, same powder charge, same primer, same projectile, same overall length, okay? Mm -hmm. He takes those 10 pieces. He puts eight through his rifle. They do not crack. I said, let me have two. I take two that he reloaded, put them in my rifle. They do crack. Of the four that I had that weren't cracked, I gave him one. He fired his rifle. It did not crack. So what we've done here is we've now eliminated my reloading process. Okay. There was a a question that maybe I had my collet die over-adjusted and was pushing the shoulder back somehow with a collet die, which would be kind of hard to do with a collet die because a collet die simply squeezes the neck back down to the proper diameter.
3: Hey uh, so, Trevor, just just before you continue on there, yeah, uh, just to,
0: just to clarify
3: for our listeners, because there's a couple of different ways a, a case can crack. You're talking about incipient uh, head separation, right? That and
0: is correct. Now define that for the listeners.
3: so it's 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 just cracking near the base of the case so correct usually what this happens in in rifles that have uh too much headspace and you reload brass like uh, 303s are really common here in canada an enfield typically has uh, a lot of headspace you fire your 303 the brass stretches you resize it we use a full length resizer you squish it back down and then you go shoot it and then you full length resize it and and what will happen is that the base of the uh, brass stretches so thin that on one of those shots you'll go to extract it and you'll pull the base of the case out and the rest of it will loosely stay inside the rifle and sometimes
0: they come out easily and sometimes not so easily Mm -hmm. so i went to see a local f-class shooter who has been kind of out of the game for a while but he 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 builds his own f-class rifles he'll buy a blank that's been uh threaded with the rifling and he'll chamber it himself and put the threads on himself and put it into the action himself. He's quite knowledgeable. And he suspected that perhaps I was messing up in my reloading process. And he gave me a test to do. He said, go home, find a piece of brass that chambers into your rifle easily and correctly. Seat a spent primer halfway into the primer pocket. When you chamber that piece of brass into your rifle, if you have excessive headspace the primer will not be seated by the bolt into the brass. If your headspace is correct, the brass will push up to the end of the chamber and the bolt will seat the primer. And that is exactly what happened. So now I've conducted two tests that confirm I don't have excessive headspace in that rifle. Okay. By muffin shooting a piece of the brass that I reloaded and it didn't crack, I feel eliminates my reloading techniques as a possibility for damaging the brass. I think it's got to be something to do with the rifle. Muffin loaded 10 pieces, fired eight. They didn't crack. I fired two. He reloaded his way. They did crack. Yeah. So what I've done next is um, I, I took some of those cracked cases and I reloaded them again. And I took 10 pieces of Winchester, fire-formed brass, I reloaded them. And then I prepped 10 pieces of federal brass that were fired in an RCMP remnant. 700 308 rifle. where they were qualifying on the rifles, and I acquired the brass. So that brass didn't chamber in my rifle because it wasn't fired in my chamber. So I had to full length resize it, trim it, prep. I prepped it all. So now I want to see if that Federal brass cracks, doesn't crack, stretch, doesn't, you know, whatever. At least I've got another variable to introduce in the equation now. I tried Lapua; it seems to be cracking. Winchester's all I've shot exclusively in that rifle. I've got a. I'm sure I've got brass that's been fired in the rifle three or four times already. No signs of cracking. So what's the federal going to do? I don't know. Now, if I do have incipient head spacing occurring, shooting that cracked Lapua brass could be risky, in uh. that the crack could get worse and I could have head separation and gases come back in my face through the bolt, what have you. So I won't put my, you know, uh, when I put the fed or the Lapua into the rifle, I'm going to stay clear of the back of the rifle. Obviously, Just point pointed that on range and look through the scope, make sure it's good, hold the butt stock and get my head off of the rifle and pull the trigger to see if it, if it's actually gonna fail. Maybe it's um maybe the brass is hitting it's in attack twenty one chassis, and maybe when I'm extracting the brass, it's hitting the chassis on the on the way out at the exact same spot every time and causing a, a scratch or a ding on the outside of the case. I did the paperclip trick where you take a paper clip and make it like a hook and go down inside the brass to try and feel a a damage inside the case, I can't feel anything. I had um, an XCR, and the XCR was notorious for (laughs) denting or dinging the the brass case as it ejected from the rifle every single solitary time. So as I'm I'm talking about this, it's occurring to me that, who knows, maybe it's just getting damaged during the ejection process. That can't be it. No? Okay. No, that can't be it. I'm just at a loss, man.
3: Yeah, well, I, I mean, sometimes you, you go to exclude things and uh, you exclude
0: everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. I mean, I've had two tests done to con, to confirm head spacing and, mm-hmm. and it's passed both times, so I don't know. We shall see. Anyway, while I was there on Sunday, after I was done doing that, I played with the 10 full glue again. Unfortunately, I forgot my timer, but the gun is so smooth. It tracks so well. It's a Mipsic target set up at you know, 10, 15, and 20 meters and just... I was practicing uh, draws and reloads and just some some real, real simple general drills just to get some get some trigger time on it basically. Um the trigger on this ext- uh, Limited Custom Extreme is near 1911. It's as nice, it's as nice as any tuned 1911. Um certainly not nicer, but it's the closest thing to a 1911 trigger I've seen in any firearm other than a 1911. And, I mean, it just, it doesn't get much better than 1911 trigger. Sorry, did I say 1911? 20, 2011. (laughs) My bad. So, anyway, I I got to showing off. There's a steel plate at our range at 200 meters away. And I'm sitting on the bench and I'm lobbing some some rounds down there at 200 meters at an 8-inch steel plate. And I think I'm in the zone. So, I asked Jason Muffin to sit down and spot me through his scope. So, he comes over. And he acquires the, the uh, plate in his scope. And he says, all right, go ahead, send it. So I launch one off. And ting, I hit the plate. And he looks at me and says, see, man, you just needed a good spotter. It's all, <laughs> it's all me. I'm like, you're right. Thanks, man. Yeah. So, yeah, at 200 meters, hitting an 8-inch plate. Um, yeah, I'll take that. And my, my misses, you could see the splash behind the plate. And it was just, oh, that one went left. That one went right. I had no problem dialing in the elevation, the windage. At that distance, could have been wind, could have been not match grade 40 caliber ammo, could have been trigger press, but I was just, I had the elevation right. So it's pretty, I, I that's pretty awesome, I think. so. You're happy. Uh, I um, My limited custom came with a um, thumb rest on it. I got hooked on thumb rests on my IPSC pistols when I got my first 2011. And then I got my open gun. It also had a thumb rest. So I asked to have a thumb rest installed on this one. They did. Uh, there was a miscommunication at the shop. The shop owner installed the thumb rest on the gun. Mm-hmm. The shop employee threw a thumb rest in the box. So when I opened up the the, bar, the the gun case, there was a thumb rest on it and an extra one. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I called them up. I'm like, you sent me an extra thumb rest by mistake. He's like, oh, did we? Okay. Well, I said, no problem. Send me a bill and I'll pay for it. So they gave me the honest guy discount because, you know, that's awesome. Honesty is always the best policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I installed it on my backup limited custom so that they feel the same. And... What else? Uh, my Dylan broke. The parts arrived. Got that fixed. Got back to reloading some 38 Special. And last night I did some casting of 40 caliber bullets. And tonight the, um, I did the powder coating of them. How'd that go? I tried the... I'm glad you asked because I did do something different. Andy mm-hmm. Shan, um, Captain Andy, he's on our playing cards. He's <laughs> kind of over being particular about it, right? He just throws the bullets... In a ziplock container with uh-huh. the powder, shakes it up, dumps them in a colander, lets the powder sift through back into the container, and then he dumps them onto the tray. Yeah. I'm like super OCD. I'm picking them out of the powder with tweezers. I'm standing them up one at a time. <laughs> <sighs> so tonight I'm like, the heck with it, man. I'm just going to take a dozen, throw them in, see how it works. How'd and it work? uh, it's a little messy. Like, you do get flat spots. Uh-huh. On, uh, where, where it sits. Some you do, some you don't. Um, some of the powder gets knocked off, so I don't find you get as nice a coverage. It could be the powder I'm using, could be the shape of the bullet I'm using. I'm using semi wide cutters. I've seen him do it with uh, round nose, first forty-five. I don't know if he does it, all of his bullets this way, but uh, my only complaint is that I, I found that I was doing smaller batches. Uh. When I put them into the container and then take them out one at a time. I stand them up and I can get more on the tray. So I'm doing smaller batches, but I'm saving time. So am I getting as many done or am I actually getting more done? It's mm. not, the jury's still out. I'm going to play with, do it that way a few more times. It's difficult because my OCD wants me to stop and stand them up, but it is what it's. Mm. So. Have
1: you tried the spray painting? I can't remember if you have or not.
0: No, that's uh, the Squire. The Squire spray painted cast right. bullets for his moles and the gaunt of all things, 7.62 by 15. For our who even cast for that, and then and then <laughs> he spray paints, yeah, cheap bullets, yeah, well, cheap everything, right? So, <laughs> worked, yeah. No, I've got to get a pile of casting done because, um, I'm down to about 2,000 rounds of what I would consider level three Ipsic, uh, match ammunition, you know, it's cam pro, full metal jacket. It's all been chamber checked, and it's it's all been chronographed, and it's good match ammo. And I've only got 2,000, so I need to make as many cast bullets as I can, develop a load, and use them for practice and, and small matches. And, I mean, it's it's time-consuming, but it's basically free. Like, I'm getting my lead for free, and it's just time. You're just putting in your time. Um, they And the cast bullets can be as accurate as full metal jacket bullets, as far as consistency on the scale. Like this one weighs 174, this one weighs 173.8, this one weighs 174.1. You can get them that accurate if you want to. But -hmm. we're not bullseye shooting. We're running and gunning. So you don't need that kind of, you know, I don't care if there's three grains difference between one bullet and the other. Especially as long as it makes power factor, I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. So that's it for me. What about you, Adriel? Well, at the moment, I am
3: cleaning off a... uh Partis SL I'd uh
0: taken it out to the range to kind of beat it up a bit to uh to see what it would do. Is that when you took that kind of quasi video that I'm not sure wasn't staged yet?
2: Uh,
3: <laughs> no, that was with the SS. That was uh okay. that was a different one. Okay. I I ran a actually I I ran a full box of shells to to get that time.
2: <laughs> oh, did
0: you? But what oh, time? No. I didn't see a timer.
3: No, well, I mean I mean if you um Look if at the video. Slow mo on the video. Uh, it's uh, it's right around 0.7 seconds, but that's
0: that's not like accurate, tiny Oh, uh, me either. My first much. one went to the floor. Like, <laughs> you're trying to get those times. Just get it up mm. and let it fly.
1: Adriel, did you p- post that video? Where did you post it? YouTube. Or, oh, okay.
3: Yeah. Right. Have you seen
0: it?
1: Well, I, I, you sent it to us, so I saw that, but I didn't actually see it on YouTube. So.
0: So that was yeah. 0.7 of a second. Yeah. Six mm-hmm. shots. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's fast
3: i mean the actions the action is capable of it the action your, will do theory. uh 0.1 of a second so i mean that the absolute fastest you could possibly run that shotgun would be for six rounds would be 0.6 of a second mm-hmm. but uh yeah 0.7 is good i don't know i got like uh i got a really good burn on that last one and i almost it was it almost felt like i was bump firing it it was just uh nice and quick what what that's good for well not much <laughs> I can't use that in competition or anything like that but uh, it's kind of fun and it's a lot faster than I can run my uh, my Stoger, so it's oh, there uh, you go yeah kind of fun to do that every once in a while uh, let's see. Okay, so yeah, I just checked my SL um, and some of the aluminum at the back. So I, I fired a whole bunch more three-inch magnums through it. Uh, I hadn't t- had taken a look at it uh, until now, and uh, yeah, it's got a, it's got an imprint now of where the bolt was kind of hitting the aluminum at the back there. So uh, I don't know. Maybe that's fine now. It is like I, I can kind of see some uh, some spots on the bolts and the uh, the connecting rod there where they've been hitting each other and uh it, like on the slow mo of of shooting this thing with 3 inch magnums it does fling them like really really far so it's uh it's upgassed for uh for 3 inch and it's it's giving quite a bit of uh uh quite a bit more action on the action i guess uh what else did we do so i sh- i shot the Partis ss uh and uh, i got a, that 20 gauge sl i took that one out uh, me and some <laughs> buddies went and shot some squirrels at my grandparents place uh with said,
1: squirrels
0: pardises <laughs> Poor you know, squirrels. we have friends who do a show with squirrels in the title. <laughs> I wonder if they shoot squirrels with their partices. <laughs> Can they even get Turkish shotguns? Yeah, they've got them in the States. All right. Well, they wouldn't yeah. shoot squirrels with them. Hmm.
2: Uh,
3: okay. Anyways, that's what I did. Um, I shot those SKS KDs. That was kind of interesting. Um, let's see. Thank oh, you for yeah. over that. <laughs> <laughs> They're SKSs with a magazine in them, right? Bayonet. I mean, uh, oh, I asked for this. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, w- you know, with an SKS, you can monopod off the off the uh, uh, the spike on the end, right? You can pop that guy down, drive it into the ground, and use it as a, a quick and dirty monopod. Uh, you can also kind of do that with a 30-round mag, but
0: it's a lot more wobbly than just using the uh, bayonet. Yeah, I saw I saw uh, the squire doing that on Saturday at the range, took the bayonet down and was shooting off the bayonet.
2: Yeah.
1: Really?
0: I may or may not have shot his gun. <laughs> his SKS. That,
1: that means you shot it.
0: <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny.
3: Yeah, I guess the uh the Viet Cong used you uh came up with that using the, the bi the sorry not the bipod, the bayonet as like a a quick monopod. Drive it into the dirt, your rifle stays there and uh it's really solid, right? Mm. Um, but, 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 yeah, so anyways, I shot those, um, yeah, I shot a CZ 512, which is like a, a 22. A CZ, see what, C what now? CZ, see, I watch too many YouTube videos on these things before I do my review because I want to learn like everything and uh-huh. most of them are American and they say CZ and uh, I start saying CZ, <laughs> CZ, How, how's that? Yep. Okay. CZ 512 with some S&B ammo in it, and the S&B ammo was was having case failures, like straight up right out the side of the rim, case failures, and uh, yeah, so I I, I recorded it because <laughs> why not? So mm. I got some video of that thing blowing out the side, and it was uh, yeah, right right on the right on the rim, it was actually. Bursting out the side uh, on the extractor, so maybe like th- with with 22 Magnum and some of the uh, uh, rimfire magnums, they just don't like some semi-autos. So maybe it didn't like it. Maybe the cases are bad. It ran fine with uh, Hornady uh, ammo. It didn't have any kind of failure like that, but uh, it definitely didn't like that uh, that ammo. Um, I finished up that review on that Spartan Javelin bipod, and yeah, shot apart a Partis SS really fast. Yes, you did. <laughs> Kelly, what about seven, you?
1: Seven seconds. Uh, I went to – well, before I went to the range on Sunday, I got – well, it's new for me anyways. A bol- did, remember I told you I returned that bolt carrier group? Mm-hmm. So I got a new one for my AR-15, and I also got a pull stock as well because Kevin, he got his NEA, NEA uh, CCS um, stock, and it came with a bolt carrier group. So – He took that one, gave me the one off of his AR, so I got to clean it and then put it into my AR. So, and then we went to the range the next day. I was able to shoot his uh, AR-15, the 7.5-inch, which was a lot of fun. Oh, barky
0: little beast, isn't it?
1: Yeah, with his new stock and everything. I didn't shoot mine because um, we didn't or wasn't able to... um, tighten the the stock itself so I didn't really want to shoot it until we could actually tighten the stock onto it yeah. um but yeah so I shot his and love it just love it just love it so yeah anyways do you um, love it yeah, really I love it. <laughs> anyways, I like the seven and a half inch. Yeah. Anyways. Uh was able to shoot my Glock seventeen. I'm liking the pistol. And uh also took out the ten twenty two. We shot the squirrel's uh, rifleman challenge and we also shot a squ- squirrel. So <laughs> You what? <laughs> Actually the squirrel rifleman challenge was a squirrel this month. Oh and we shot him. We killed a squirrel.
0: Oh, okay, that's all right
1: then. Yeah. Anyways. So, so we states- submitted Stacy and
0: St- Stacy and Sticks, if you're listening, <laughs> pistol targets in the summertime, please. Yeah, not January. Can we kind of <laughs> make the next one a pistol target? The same.
1: Well, aren't we due for a pistol target? Yes, we are. Okay. All right, and I'll and I'll shoot it as well. So, and today, guess what? What? You're supposed to say what? What? Um, my my membership came in. in oh, map. good. Yeah, so I officially have my uh, CCFR membership. Yay! Card carrying member. Cool. Yeah. So that's yeah. They, uh,
0: they sponsored ahead. the um Hampton Southern New Brunswick two fifty level three Ipsic match. Hey. Yeah, they signed on as a gold level sponsor.
1: Very nice. When was yeah. that? Uh this week.
0: So though, this the, week match, week? the match the matches is gonna be the match is two hundred and fifty rounds, eighteen stages in one day. So it takes place on the longest day of the year. So it's always on the summer uh solstice.
1: Mm. Yep. Is that on our events at all?
0: It doesn't matter. It's sold out.
1: Okay. Never mind.
0: They only only take 50 people. It's pretty much sold out within a day.
1: Okay. Speaking of which, our events, what do we got going on? Uh, We have the first annual Ronnie DeGroote Out with your Glockout Steel Challenge on June 4th. Uh, Any updates on that, Trevor?
0: No. The stages have been announced, and I don't think I put out the round count yet, but no no updates. June 4th, registration at 9.
1: Okay. You're still taking sign-ups for it?
0: Yeah, it's walk-on.
1: Okay. Uh, After that, we have the 6th Annual um, Charity Shoot uh, in support of Soldier On. It's going to be taking place on June 25th in Kingston, Ontario. Uh, It's going to be at the Brockville District Fish and Game Club. And if you're interested, contact uh, New Shooter Canada and check out the event on the Facebook page. I don't think think there's any updates um, really on that. Um, We're still working on a few things, but... Yeah, we don't really have any updates.
0: No new sponsors? Uh, you were like a sponsor a day for a while there.
1: We do have a couple of new sponsors, but uh, yeah. Um, I can't remember who they are for the life of me. Sorry.
0: Yeah, but I bet when you record New Shooter Canada, all of a sudden your memory will improve. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you guys get,
3: uh, uh, what's Matthew and Owen's company there? Fresh Jack, they're already in
1: there. there. yeah. yeah. So uh, I just can't remember Bernie's last name. Uh, he does the IPSC hearing, uh, or sorry, not IPSC, uh, service rifle. Uh, we got him to give us a couple of the, um, a couple of, uh, fees or I don't know, gift certificates for service rifle here in Ontario. So Hmm. yeah, he just came on today or yesterday. So that was cool. Uh, what do we got next? Um, Got Your Six a Wounded Warrior charity uh, it's being held at the Edson Fish and Game Club mile, one mile range in Alberta that's on the uh, 16th and 17th of uh, July it's sold out I believe but yeah. uh, they are taking names right uh, Adriel?
3: Yeah they've got a waiting list there
1: yeah so you can check them out on Got Your Six uh, shoot.com but yeah it is it is sold out but go on and uh, sign up if you want to be on the waiting list Uh, We're still talking about the Rocky Mountain 300, are we not? Yes? Okay. I don't want to. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, so it's in Eaton. Check them out there, Eaton, Colorado. So if you're in Colorado, check them out. And uh, what do we got next? Do you want to talk about the Jason? Uh,
3: Adrian? I'll I'll, I'll grab the next one here. This one's uh, from Jason, the uh, CNN. SCA Sporting Clays National Championship. That's going to be in uh Wapiti Shooters Club in Grand Prairie, September 1st to 4th. And uh there's re- I'll I'll throw the link into the uh show notes uh to register for that. Uh that's National Championship, so there's going to be random squatting on on site for that one. Um consideration will be given though for spouses children and companions. If you're traveling or need accommodations, the recommended hotels that they have are the Holiday Inn and Sandman Hotel.
1: Uh, do you want to talk about the uh, Stoker yeah, Day
3: there? Yeah, yeah, I can take the next one here. There's going to be a Stoger Day that uh, the Gun Dealer and Stoger Canada are throwing at the Woodstock Pistol and Rifle Club. That'll be Saturday, June 4th, between 10, and 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Uh, they're going to have a variety of handguns and pistols and a bunch of different kinds of calibers. You don't need a firearms license to attend or participate. Uh, Stoger is going to be providing new firearms, and they're going to be selling them at the end of the day at steep discounts. They said 25% or more, so... Uh, there's going to be a little bit of incentive to, uh, I guess, stick around till the end of the day. <laughs> mm. And uh, the entry fee is twenty bucks. So twenty bucks gets you three handgun tickets, a rifle ticket, a shotgun ticket. So you get to shoot all of those. There's barbecue
0: and door pies. They're That's actually cutting. pretty good. Yeah, they're cu- yeah, it is. They're cutting back on these things. The first time I went to one was Glock Day at the Springfield Range. Mm-hmm. I don't think we paid, and we got in line. We told them which Glock we wanted to shoot. They loaded the mag with five rounds. We shot it and we got to the back of the line and we went all day.
2: Huh.
0: Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure we didn't pay. The ammunition was sponsored by the Glock dealer and I did the I did the right thing. I bought a Glock when I left, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. what, you know, they let me shoot for free all day. I feel like I should buy a gun. So that's what I did. And then the CFO was trying to catch the um, gun dealer in some... Yeah, They, they were calling everybody. Everybody who bought a gun to find out if they were able to take the gun home that day or not. It's like, and they called a lawyer, and they called an MLA, and they got their ass chewed. Wow. Yeah, Matthew actually interviewed a liberal MLA that day. It was pretty awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He was at the range, was he? Yeah,
0: he was there with his son. They were shooting handguns. See?
1: Liberal Hmm. shoot. Just saying.
0: Oh, don't even. (laughs) I (laughs) won't. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. the cool ones do.
1: <laughs> Trevor, do you want to talk about what Mo sent in?:
0: uh, OK, from Mo. Steel match. Yeah, this is uh, I was just texting somebody about this. Petty Kodiak is going to be putting on a steel match at the Petty Kodiak Sportsman Club, May 15th, starting at 10 a.m. Uh, Twenty bucks, four runs at forty pieces of steel. They're going to take the best three out of four runs. Uh, you're going to need a holster, minimum of a nine millimeter. Going to do an open sight, or sorry, an iron sights division, and an open. Excuse me, and an open division. Uh, Two hundred and fifty rounds to be on the safe side. Pre-register via Facebook or email. Um, no link or email addresses is included. Uh, just Facebook, Mo Mo Hepworth. Uh, there was no email. Well, I guess here's the thing. You This was emailed to us, so we would just simply reply to Mo's email. So I apologize just, for oh, not... Just Mo's, Mo's email? Yeah. I'll throw it in the show notes. Okay, cool. Yeah. But, okay. I mean, it's... Yeah. It'll be in two days, but whatever.
1: Okay.
0: Pre-registration is encouraged, but not required.
1: So people can do walk-on.
0: Yeah. I'm supposed to go down Saturday and crash at Lorette's and then shoot on Sunday, but nope, not if it's raining. Okay. I'm driving to Petco stay in code, the range shoot steel, no matter how bad I want to shoot my
1: new gun. Is that the forecast?
0: Yeah, pouring rain till Tuesday. I was supposed mm. to do range construction Friday night and Saturday, but Friday night's probably still a go, but Saturday will turn into a reloading day. Hmm. So.
1: Well, you you only have two thousand rounds, so. It's, just, it's sacrilegious. <laughs> like I mean,
0: no, I'll go through. I'll go through eight thousand forty in a summer, just forty. Wow. Uh, no, I no, I've done that once my first summer, but I'll go through 5,000 for sure.
1: All right. So we have still one more event that we have on the list. It's the Western Canadian challenge. It's, it is open. It's a uh, June 30th and July 1st. It's sporting clays, golden district, rod and gun club. And uh, the link on it, uh, we'll post on the show notes as well. Um, news. So I put in there that the petition, the E 111 petition closed on uh, May 7th and, um, MP Bob Zimmer is sponsoring it in the House of Commons. It was actually the largest petition, e-petition to date. Did you guys know that?
0: I mm-hmm. did. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Isn't it yeah. ironic that we've got one MP yeah. um, who's sponsoring a bill to declassify the AR-15, and mm-hmm. we get another one who wants to take everything away? Mm. Oh, speaking of, you know, um, the story is that Bill 223 picked up a new sponsor.
1: Yeah, the story was that it did, but then it didn't. Oh. People checked into it and then it it okay. wasn't. So
3: Someone uh put it to recess or something like that, but they didn't actually sponsor it. They just said, "Let's yeah. wait on this one and it will now die." Yeah. I think.
1: Okay. Yeah. So it went past the date. So yeah, we can get a clarification. You know who would be great for that? Bob Zimmer. man. Uh-huh. Saying. <laughs> Just saying. We should have him on to talk about that as well. Anyways, okay. Should.
0: I met yeah. him. Did I meet him at the Stick to Your Guns CCSA dinner in Calgary?
1: He's going to be at the one that's going to be next weekend. I'm not able to go to that one. I, uh, I'm i going to be doing an RO course. so well, that's... Maybe. Anyways, we should contact him. Maybe. Okay. So you put something in here, uh, Trevor. It's the FBI, FBI goes back to the 9mm. Do you want to talk about that one?
0: Yes, FBI is returning to the 9mm because science. Mm. Yeah, so um, this story can be found on the, let me just get the website here, uh, com. If you go to that website, and click under Gun News, you will find a link to this story. So, because it's, it's fairly long, I didn't put it all in, but I, I do have some of it here. And thanks to uh, Rossinator for sending this in. The FBI's solicitation for 9mm handguns generated a flood of questions from state and local agencies, many who carry 40. About to change, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, a division of DHS, currently issues the SIG 229-40, in but allows agents to purchase and carry 9mm Glocks. ICE has a solicitation out for a new service handgun in 9mm. Some Army Special Operations Commandment element, Command elements carry the Glock 22 and 40. They are currently purchasing the Glock 19 in 9mm. There is no word as to the future of their 40s. The FBI drove the initial move from 9 to 40 for many of these service agencies. As new details come to light about the FBI's ultimate choice, expect more details here. Here is in the um, firearms guide. Below is a statement, below is a statement, was prepared? This came off a of website. This isn't the <laughs> listener, this isn't me. Below is a statement that was prepared, that no. Below is a statement, man... Below, a statement was prepared. The FBI training division to answer. To Where's ans-
1: Matthew? He needs. Oh man, Just need some,
0: there's some there's some words missing. There's some extra words. Okay, nope, grammar. All right. Okay. Below is a statement that was prepared by the FBI training division to answer those questions and was intended for dissemination to law enforcement. I nailed that one. To law enforcement agencies, it was not classified. Law enforcement sensitive. And has spread to civilians. I have confirmed its origins and feel that its release poses no threat to law enforcement while providing enlightening science paid for by taxpayer dollars to go to the public. Uh, some of the information was we're going to skip ahead here a little bit. There's the history of why they went to the 40, the 1986 Miami shooting. All right. So here's some of the justifications for why they're going back to the nine millimeter. And again, this goes on and on and on. This is the only snippet I've included. F- and this is from the FBI training division, FBI Academy in Quantico VA. Yeah. Thank you. Executive summary of justification for law enforcement partners. Caliber debates have existed in law enforcement for decades. Most of what is common knowledge, air quotes, with ammunition and its effect on human target are rooted in myth and folklore. Projectiles are what ultimately wound our adversaries, and the projectile needs to be the basis for the discussion on what caliber is best. Yeah, no question. 45 ball will do a better job than 9mm ball, but a 9mm ballistic tip or jacketed hollow point is going to do probably a better job than a 40 caliber ball. I mean, mm-hmm. I agree with this the The projectile is going to determine the rate and type of expansion, and that's what creates a wound channel, not whether it's a 45 caliber hole or a nine millimeter hole. Uh, it's the wound channel that we need to go after here. Uh, next point. In all the major law enforcement calibers, there exists there exist projectiles which have a high likelihood of failing LEOS in a shooting incident, and there are projectiles which have a high ting incident likelihood likelihood of succeeding LEOS in a shooting incident. A high ting incident.
1: Hmm. What's a ting?
0: I have no idea. Well, I like Jewel, the
1: sound of it. Ting. Yeah, Jewel has a rifle
0: <laughs> named Ting, but. Uh, I know. Um, handgun stopping power is simply a myth. That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's all about the rifle. Uh, a single most important factor in effective wounding a human target is to have penetration to a scientifically valid depth. FBI uses 18, 12 to 18 inches. Man, if you're a human being and you're 18 inches thick, we're going to change your name to Arnold.
1: <laughs>
2: I
0: think I think that's to make up for... Uh... Jackets, clothing, or, and yeah, yeah, there's stuff on the way. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, the RCMP were issued ammunition once that wouldn't go through a leather coat or a windshield. <laughs> LEOs miss between 70% and 80% of the shots fired during a shooting incident. Mm. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. yeah, sadly. Um, contemporary projectiles since 2007 have dramatically increased the terminal effectiveness of many premium line law enforcement projectiles. Emphasis on the 9mm Luger offerings. 9mm Luger now offers select projectiles, which are, under identical testing conditions, uh, outperforming most most of the premium 40 Smith & Wesson and 45 auto projectiles tested by the FBI. 9mm Luger offers higher magazine capacity, less recoil, lower cost, both in ammunition and wear on the weapon, and higher functional functional reliability rates in FBI weapons. Um, That's always been one of the complaints about the 40. The gun is the same size as the 9mm, typically in a duty gun. Case in point: the Beretta 92, the Beretta 96, Glock 17, uh, Glock 22, Glock 19, Glock 20, or er, Glock 19 and Glock 23. These are all the same gun. The ones chambered in 40 are known to wear out sooner because uh, of the okay. same size with a bigger bullet. Yep. I mean you look at a twenty-two rifle compared to a fifty BMG, as the caliber goes up, the rifle goes up, and that's because it's being put under more more stress, right? So my competition handguns that are in forty, they're much physically larger than their nine millimeter brothers or sisters. I'll go sister because it's nine mil. Um <laughs> <laughs> so, or, tiny.
1: Okay,
0: go. Cool. Yeah. Uh the majority of FBI shooters are both faster in short strings of fire, and more accurate with shooting 9mm versus shooting a forty Smith & Wesson. Similar sized weapons. Uh, yeah, you take two shooters of equal skill and put them on a course of fire, one with a 9, or take the same shooter, put them on the same course of fire, his time is going to be faster with a 9mm. Uh-huh. Split, your splits are faster because the gun is spending, there's less flipperosity. It's not in the air as long the site is going to stay much closer to the center of the target in a nine than it will in a 40 because science
2: uh-huh.
0: there's little to no noticeable difference in the wound track between premium law and f- law, law auto enforcement, man, I can't believe how poorly <laughs> written this is ah, for that website. There is little to no noticeable difference in the wound tracks between premium law enforcement projectiles from nine millimeter through to 45. So, If a 9 and a 40 and a 45 are all essentially making the identical wound track, well, it makes sense to go to the 9mm for the other benefits. Reduce recoil, reduce cost in ammo and guns. I mean, given contemporary bullet construction, LEOs can field with proper bullet selection, 9mm Lugers, with all the internal performance potential of any other law enforcement pistol caliber with none of the disadvantages present in the larger calibers. So this is a very interesting article. It does continue on. We encourage you guys to go check it out. The direct link is, we'll put it in the show notes because it's a bit of a long URL, but again, it's thefirearmsguide.com. I really want you to go read it so you can see the grammatical errors for yourself and go, <laughs> maybe Furlock can read, right? Maybe it, maybe it's, it's poor writing that he's, that he's been
1: yeah, forced to grammar. contend with. You know, yes, this you can sum all up into a couple of points. They want to switch over to the nine millimeter economics, yeah, absolutely. That's it, that's
0: That's the only thing I think the biggest driving force in government. They're not gonna have to,
1: yeah, they're not gonna have to replace their pistols as much. Their bullet, the bullets, the projectiles are going to cost less, and you know what. Maybe instead of hitting whatever they're supposed to hit 20% of the time, it'll actually go up a little higher. Mm,
0: depending on the individual. But you know what? <laughs> this is a, a decision based on economics that I can get behind because as a taxpayer, I mean, yeah, okay, we don't pay the taxes in the FBI. But as a taxpayer in general, I encourage seeing this kind of common sense. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's do something that is logical and saves money. Like I've said a thousand times. All of my handguns are nine millimeter, with the exception of a couple of revolvers, cause revolvers, you know, you gotta have one. What the heck, right? Uh. Um everybody's got a black sheep in their family, so that is those are my revolvers. <laughs> Other than my forty caliber ipsick pistols, I wouldn't own a forty caliber. Uh, no, I only own a forty caliber because that's the division that I compete in. That's you know it. keeping that in mind. And
3: keeping in mind, you know, they're saying that ah, they're but they're all basically the same. You put a premium bullet in and 940, 45, Who cares? All, they all kind of do the same thing. Why don't, Why? Why don't they strip those divisions out of IPSC? Because there's a bunch of uh, cartridges out there that exist. Uh, what's the uh, what's the nine that's a little bit longer? Thirty-eight super.
0: Thirty-eight super will never leave us. Because, well, I, I say what? that, but 38 Super is in open guns because it runs open guns really, really well. It puts a great amount of gas to the comp. The mm-hmm. comp works, and the dot stays flat, and they feed reliably because of the longer cartridge. 38 Super has been chambered in 1911 platforms for Ever. decades, decades. But would it um, be around if there was no power factor in Exactly. Possibly up- because. There's IPSC in 84 countries. Canada and U.S. are only two. In some of those uh-huh. countries, you can't own anything bigger than a 38. So the 38 is going to stay in Ipsic for a long, long time. Um, th- there's no question, in IDPA, it's dominated by the 9mm, you know, because why not? Um, the reason why 40 will stay in IPSC for a long time, Adriel, is because the standard division is basically a stepping stone to open in that there are very few limitations on the gun. And so because I'm a tinkerer, and because I would rather drive a Formula F1 car as opposed to a stock car, I choose standard so that I can tune and tweak the gun. Just like the bow I compete with is not a stick and string. It's not even a camouflaged hunting bow. It's a tuned premium bow. Well, my gun is the same kind of thing. It's just my... I want something that's a bit high-end, a bit modified, a bit tuned. And so that's why the standard division appeals to me, because of the rules that govern the category, not the predominant caliber in the category. Make sense?
1: You yeah. like the bells and whistles.
0: Yeah. And so <laughs> that's, why, that's why standard is there, more about the, the fact that the gun is slightly modified yeah. and not about the fact that it's a 40.
1: Okay. So on that note, guess what, guys?
0: The biggest interview of my Ever. podcasting career.
1: How excited were you about this, Trevor?
0: I'm a fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie. The man like that was one of going to MAG40 and meeting with Saudi was definitely one of the highlights of my life. I don't get fanstruck. I don't care about celebrities. But when there's somebody out there who's an icon in an industry that I enjoy... That means something to me. And me, and like meeting Masada Ube was one of the most important things that I've done because he's so important to the sport and the hobby that I love, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that uh, we got to get him on the show and got to talk to him, pff, yeah. Well, how, how nervous was I, right? Oh, my God. that was a mess. You
1: were, you were laughing like a, you know, a nervous school girl there.
0: Yeah, it was a mess.
1: Yeah. So, so Trevor let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> So tonight's the main excited. topic, yeah, we were we we did an interview uh, recently with Masad Ayub.
0: Joining us this week on Slamfire Radio, we have a uh, a first a very special guest. We have international, world renowned firearms instructor Masada Yub joining us. Mass, welcome to Slamfire Radio.
4: Hey, it's good to be here, Trevor.
0: Finally, it took me uh, it only took me a couple of years to get up the nerve to actually ask you to slum it and come on a Canadian show.
4: Well, heck, I was here the whole time, eh? Yeah,
0: there you go, there you go. Well, Mass, um, it's 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 quite possible that um, we have uh, some listeners out there. Well, it shouldn't be possible. I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna assume that not every Canadian has heard of you. And well, let's go back and uh, and start with your early career, your early days, um, when you first started carrying a gun, and kind of. Progress through your bio and, and your law enforcement career, your career as an author, and then um, move into some of the training schools that you're running today. How's that sound?
4: Sure. Fair enough. Uh, I was basically a uh, uh, third generation uh, of immigrant uh, grandparents. Uh, my mom and dad uh, were both born in this country in the early 20th century. Uh, I was kind of a change of life baby in mid-20th century. Uh, the gun legacy that I inherited on my dad's side, uh, both he and his father, had been in shootouts with armed criminals and both had prevailed. So by the time I came along, uh, guns in the house and in the family place of business, uh, my dad owned a jewelry store, uh, were, you know, about as everyday as, you know, coffee cups. Uh, my dad started me shooting when I was four years old with a .22, uh, handguns at nine. And when I started working part-time in the family jewelry store. Part of the deal was, Kids are, we've got the guns here, we've got the guns here, and in case you can't reach one, if you're going to work here, you're going to carry one. Uh, we were in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, where the license plates say, live free or die. Uh, interestingly enough, they're made in the state penitentiary, <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> um, and basically, the law in New Hampshire then and now, actually, was that you only needed a permit to carry loaded, and concealed in public. Now, a place of business open to the public under New Hampshire law it would be in public. If, however, you are an employee and authorized by management to carry a gun, so long as you remain inside the premises, no permit was required and there was never an age limit. So I found myself at the age of 12 uh, working behind the counter and carrying a loaded, cocked and locked, hopefully, five automatic, as we call them that. Uh, we didn't have some anti-stistance No, it's semi-automatic, but again, I digress. And my first thought was, okay, this is for real. Uh, what are the rules? And the hell of it was, you, you had, you know, the year was 1960, <clears throat> which shows you how old I am, God me. But if you look back then, there, there were books on how to win a gunfight that went back to the 19th century. Trevor, there was not a bloody thing that told the average citizen who owned a gun at home or carried one on the street or in their place of business, when they could use it. Mm. And thank God, some of my dad's customers included the chief of police in the city, uh, one judge, a couple of lawyers that were kind enough to sit down with a 12-year-old kid who had an unusual problem. And they basically set me on the course going into legal libraries, uh, finding out, okay, here's the rules of the road. And I remember thinking then as a pubescent kid, you know, somebody needs to write a book about this part. My God, if somebody hasn't written one by the time I grow up, I'll write a book on it. <laughs>
0: That's certainly and saying something.
4: Long story short, yeah. Well, well <laughs> we well can't few get roles of life. I fulfilled.
0: <laughs> well, we can't get twelve-year-olds to do their homework. Now you were hanging out in the law library. Uh, well, something about
4: real life will make you do that. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, it became uh, good enough. Serious competitive shooting when I was about nineteen. Uh, Bullseye was the only game in town back then. Uh, in my early twenties, <coughs> excuse me, getting a law enforcement and uh, PPC shooting. Uh, time went on. I did write that book in 1980 the gravest extreme. Uh, it's still in print. It's it stood the test of time well. Uh, not because I'm the world's greatest writer or researcher, but simply because Deadly Force is one of the most mature bodies of law that there is. Uh, along the way, I became a firearms instructor pretty early in my police career, actually. And basically, time went on. um uh, became a uh, writer in, well, uh, started writing for the gun magazines in 1971. Uh, One full time with it in late 1972, uh, writing for gun magazines, police magazines, martial arts magazines, and working as a part-time cop during that period and most of my life since. it's uh, May, I think, is going to be 42 years of that. Uh, Basically, in 1981, I started teaching private citizens, and that kind of became the tail that wagged the dog. Uh, My then wife and I started the Lethal Force Institute in 1981, and that became full-time by pretty much the time the end of 1982. I've been doing that ever since, uh, working on the 21st book now. Uh, A few thousand magazine articles in various gun magazines, police journals, martial arts magazines. And uh, essentially, it it became a career. Uh, Expert witness in deadly force cases and weapons cases since 1979. And that taught me a whole lot about how that stuff works. I became a police department prosecutor in 1988. So I've, I've had time on both sides of the table there. And hmm. essentially, that's what I teach from today. Uh, what I call the rules of engagement for armed citizens. And still uh, teaching you know, tactics, survival, pre incident preparation, and post incident management for law enforcement. And now, the, the company is Massad Group.
0: Now, prior to Massad Ayub Group, it was LFI. What, what was LFI? Was LFI the, the beginning LFI
4: of. was the, Lethal Force Institute, Uh, that was essentially when I went full-time training, which I've been doing ever since. Uh, Ran that until 2009 when I switched over and uh, went to Masada U Group.
0: And Masada U Group offers um, essentially, I'm familiar with three programs. You've got MAG-20, which is uh, just the legal aspect, MAG-40, which encompasses legal aspect and range time, 20 hours of each, and then uh, the one I hope to get to probably sometime in 2017 or 2018, MAG-80. Now, um, with MAG-40 and MAG-80, how many weeks a year are you, you and Gail on the road traveling across the country?
4: Uh, most of them, I'm afraid. <laughs> if, uh, if IRS ever tells me your legal residence is where you spend most of the time, it's going to be Extended Stay Hotels USA. There you go. So you're certainly not uh, a we, we like enjoy that. it. We we meet the we meet the best people on the world. Uh, we keep up our own training. Uh, so far this year, we did the uh, National Tactical Conference that Tom Gibbons ran in Memphis uh, and is running next year in St. Louis uh, we get I lead a, uh, International Law Enforcement Educators and Trainers Association. I have the privilege of being on the advisory board there. And Gal you know, and I just got back from a week <clears throat> excuse me a week at Bill Rogers Shooting School in Georgia and the asked us, which was just the most fun week we've had so far in 2016.
0: Mm, excellent. Well, it was certainly um, good timing that I asked you to come on when I did then, because I, I figured it would take quite a bit of scheduling, and it uh, it worked out quite well. I caught you on one of those rare opportunities where you were at home.
4: Well, actually the phone interviews, son, we could have done on the road. Fair enough. Problem. Yeah, We do. Uh, uh, we ride on the road. We do, we, we hear apps by nature are nomadic, and you know, being Norwegian, uh, she's used to getting on the Viking ship and going out to conquer something.
0: So. That explains a lot. Now it, it's all coming together. The whole Predator, yeah, that explains all a lot. All genetic. Yeah, exactly right. So, Mass, let's uh, let's dig into Mag Forty. Um, what is it, and where do they take place, and what is involved in a Mag Forty, and why should someone take one?
4: Well, we do, <coughs> we do them throughout the United States. Uh, anybody interested can go to masadayubgroup.com, that's M-A-S-S-A-D-A-Y-O-O-B.com, or uh, group.com, and they'll have the schedule, the explanation of each course, etc. Essentially, MAG-20 classroom is two intensive 10-hour days of lecture and video on the legal elements, the tactical elements, the psychological elements of using a firearm and self-defense and responsibly keeping one handy. Uh, the MAG-20 range is a two-day program that basically takes them from ground zero, though we elect like them to come in with the least basic firearm safety and familiarization, to quick draw from concealment, uh, one hand only with either hand, uh, shooting from cover positions, shooting from assorted positions at various speeds, various distances. Uh, they finish by shooting a police-type qualification. The MAG-40 actually combines the two of those in the 40 hours. And what we're doing with that now, uh, we, we found it the most successful for the last several years, is a four-day immersion course. Uh, Trevor, we found for most people, the tough part wasn't you know the tuition of the class or the ammo we're getting there. The tough part was getting a week off work that you're, you're taking for yourself instead of your family. Mm-hmm. We found if we did it in four days instead of five for the 40 hours, and if we did it over a weekend, like Thursday through Sunday, anybody who was serious could get two days off on of a the weekend. Yeah, it's, it's much more convenient for our clientele.
0: Yeah, and um, for those of us that travel from out of country to get there or from across the country, that certainly made it accessible for me, no question. Uh, I'm looking not back. Not I've, the truth. I'm, I've got my notes open here in front of me, Mass, and um, – my co-host will probably, you won't find this hard to believe, but I'm sure my co-host will find this hard to believe. Um, we spent 20 hours in the classroom, and I have 17 typed pages of notes. So oh, I hope you
4: talk. archive them, and I hope you've got them where your attorney can use them. Uh, if God help you, you ever need to use the gun for its defensive purpose.
0: Yeah, that was the whole idea, right? To come home and make a list of the articles and the books read and the notes and seal it all up and mail it to myself.
4: Yeah, the key reason for that, for anybody, any listener who came in late to the concept, uh, one of the big canards in this business is, oh, a good shoot is a good shoot. Whenever I hear that, I think, yeah, And next December 24th, uh, late at night, a little fat dude in a red suit is going to come down your chimney and give you some presents, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not a good shoot until the criminal justice system and the civil justice system have determined it to be such. We found that it's real easy for, in this society, yours and mine, where you know the entertainment media and the news media have so demonized guns and gun owners in Canada and the U.S. alike, that it's real easy for a defensive shooting to be painted as something other than it was. And really the whole program uh, at the, the 20 and 40 level is dedicated to showing you where those pools of quicksand are and showing you how to avoid them. Uh, you asked about the uh, the Mag eighty. The Mag eighty is a much more hands on class. I would say the Mag forty is probably sixty five seventy percent classroom. Uh, the cl- that reverses, and in the Mag eighty, it'll be thirty to thirty five percent classroom. On tactical elements, we spend less time on the deadly force elements, but the time that we do spend is geared more toward instructors, investigator level, uh, the the real fine points of it. And for attorneys who attend, it's worth uh, two hours of uh, CLE credit, continuing legal education credit in the United States. The shooting gets a lot more intensive. They're shooting while they're moving. We show them more subtleties and geometry of shooting from behind cover to maximize your protection. The distances extend farther, and the pace of the shooting increases. Uh, They'll learn weak hand draws if their dominant hand is taken out, Uh, Not just one-hand shooting, but one-hand-only reloads and jam-clearing with either hand, uh, semi-automatic or revolver. And we go very heavily into the hand-to-hand element, uh, focusing on gun retention, preventing the other guy from getting your gun away from you, and if necessary, getting the other guy's gun away from you. Uh, We found it's a much more physical class, obviously, but we found it also to be a a much more fun class. Mm -hmm. Uh, finally, <clears throat> finally, there's the MAG-120. Uh, that goes uh, still farther beyond. The shooting still gets faster, still gets farther. Uh, they have more complicated shooting problems to solve. The uh, gun retention element uh, becomes more intense. Uh, we go into the long gun at that point, the, uh, the carbine and the shotgun, uh, primarily focusing on the home defense context. And... Uh, Basically, the qualification in, <clears throat> in MAG-40 is a standard speed police course. Your final qualification in MAG-80 will be the same course, done twice as fast. And in MAG-30, it'll be the same course of fire, done three times as fast. That's so a pretty challenging program. And <clears throat> in venues where we can do it, which is most of the states now in the U.S., uh, there'll also be an introduction to fully automatic weapons. Uh, usually the M4, the MP5, the UZ, the the common ones they're likely to encounter if they have a need to pick one up. Uh, the likelihood of that is not great, but I figure by the time they spent their third week listening to my droning voice, they deserve some fun out of the deal. That's another reason we've cut the full auto in there.
0: Amazing. Excuse me while I wipe the drool off of my microphone. In order to attend MAG-80, it's my understanding that you are required to be a MAG-40 graduate? Uh.
4: Commit- to attend 80, you have to be a 40 graduate. It's a non-negotiable prerequisite. And a At- MAG-80 graduate to attend the MAG-120. Uh, Perfect. Okay. And so LFI I have two rules. Uh, if, if, if they trained with us earlier, an LFI-1 graduate is equivalent to a MAG-40 graduate. LFI-2 graduate is equivalent to a MAG-80 graduate. And LFI-3 graduate would be equivalent to a uh, MAG-120. Okay.
0: Okay. Um- When I had attended MAG40 back in 2012, uh, it was my understanding at that time that you had had some previous international students. Are you getting students other than Canada as well?
4: Oh, yeah. We've had them from Hong Kong. uh, We've had them from Fiji, uh, France, Belgium, England. Uh, Actually, I used to teach every year in England. Uh, Quite a few from South America. Uh, Several German students. Uh, South Africa, we get the occasional South African student. But uh, in the past, I used to go there to teach. It was a great excuse for a vacation. Mm.
0: And uh, are there a lot of uh, signed $1 bill and $5 bills up here in the north?
4: (laughs) I'm not sure how many fives. I'm sure there are some. As I recall, you did pretty well.
0: I got a one, (laughs) but but you owe me a five.
4: (laughs) I owe you a five? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to get my five. Well, all you're going to do is sign up, take the refresher course. Anything you've taken with us is half price tuition. We'll have another crack at the five, and you'll make it up on the volume.
0: Perfect. (laughs) Uh, I'm definitely going to be looking uh, looking for a mag eighty. Are you? Are you still? Basically,
4: for the for the the listeners, what we do with the bills, uh, we encourage competition among the students. We think competition is uh, it's not the same as being in a gunfight. You know, the old saying, a match, a qualification, well, that's not a gunfight. I, I totally agree. We all agree. What everybody misses is a gunfight is a pistol match. And whichever of you has more experience running that gun under pressure on autopilot is going to have a significant advantage. So one of the things we do, we uh, everybody puts some money in the pot. Uh, there's a uh, cash prize for top shot in class. Uh, there's... Uh, we have gold challenge coins now. Uh, you can't buy them. You've got to win them as top shot in class. And, uh, of course, staff is not eligible to compete for them. And finally, uh, when we do the, the demonstration run, the pace setter, when we show you, here's what, here's the best way we think you can maximize your score on this course you're about to shoot. Uh, whatever, core, whatever score I shoot, uh, if I beat you, you don't owe me a darn thing. Hell, you paid for the course. But if you tie my score, it's an autographed dollar bill that says you tied me in my own game. And if you beat me, it's an autographed five that says you beat me in my own game. And yes, there are some of those out. It's the cost of doing business. And I'll tell you this, Trevor, there's nobody prouder than I am when they can do it. The, The highest compliment you can pay any instructor is to exceed them in the skill they have
0: taught you. I remember my karate sensei telling me that when I was like 12 years old. My goal for you is to make you better than I am. Amen, brother. Yeah. So, so you don't know if there's any five dollar bills in Canada yet? Oh, there must be. There must oh. be. I'm
4: not recalling any at the
0: moment. Entirely. Well, I hope to. I certainly hope to add another one. We've had since uh, since we've been in the podcasting uh, business um, and training. Some of our friends have gone down, and we have. It's uh, Brian's going down, and Kevin Kelly.
1: Uh, we plan to at some point, hopefully, um, but not sure when that's going to be. Okay. Yep.
0: Well, I wasn't sure if you guys were registered yet. I know Brian Bolivar's is registered, so.
1: Yeah, the one in. A... Ready for yeah. you when
4: you're ready. Those those <laughs> in Eastern Canada, if, if you're anywhere near Montreal, it's a fairly short drive to the New Hampshire classes we run up uh, the. Oh. Summer.
1: Montreal is quite a bit uh, shorter drive than Ohio.
4: Mm-hmm. So yeah. Okay. Of course, of course, you can fly. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I flew with a gun we, once. We
4: accept refugees. Yes. I,
0: I remember being told that. I was tempted to take you up on that offer. Um, I think if I go to a Meg 80, certainly in New Hampshire, I'll drive. So um, before we wrap this up, Mass, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the importance for anyone who has the ability or the right uh, and the um, Availability of a firearm to use for self-defense now um, in Canada, as you know, we can't carry, but many of us um, certainly do have firearms staged legally, according to storage laws in the home. And we do have the right to self-defense and um, there are self-defense shootings in Canada, which are in fact deemed clean shoots. They are rare, but they do exist. What about um, why should anyone who's considering taking up arms in self-defense get training?
4: From my point of view, uh, because I make my living as a trainer, I see an ethical conflict with me saying, you must have training. It's like me saying, you must have my product. What you must have is knowledge and competence. Where you get it, okay, the training certainly is the easiest, most expeditious route. I wish to God training like we have now was available when I started carrying a gun. But whether you learn from your, your dad who served in the Canadian military uh, whether you learn from a local police officer who's familiar with the law and is certified as an instructor, or whether you learn from you know your your brother-in-law who's a good shot, teaches you the mechanics of shooting, and you go into the Canadian legal libraries and study the laws of Canada. I don't care how you got it. I care that you have that knowledge. The, the people who think, well, gee, the guy grabbed my wallet and ran, now I can shoot him in the back like in an old movie, and the cops will pat me on the back. Uh, No, the cops will put your hands behind your back, put steel bracelets around your wrists, and send you to prison for a very long time. You need to know when you can do it. You need to know how to do it. Uh, I was recently reviewing a very tragic case where the good guy shot at the bad guy who was trying to kill him and struck and severely injured an innocent bystander instead. Uh, it's imperative that you have the skill in arms, not just standing there slowly, taking however long you want to line up on the tin can on the fence, but having some idea what you can and cannot do when you're under pressure and you have to shoot fast and less than optimum conditions. Wherever wherever you get that, I don't care. I care that you have. Uh, I, I don't think... care if you learn to drive in high school, drive a red or if you're lucky enough to afford a Tony Scotty course or a Bob Bondurant course and high-speed emergency driving. I care that when your family is with you in that car on that icy road with all the other families in their cars coming the other way, that you know how to handle a skip.
0: That's definitely well said, Mass. And, and it ties into probably the most valuable lesson I took away from MAG40, and that was you need to be able to articulate and authenticate why you did what you did, and you need to be able to prove that any reasonable person, knowing what you knew in the situation you were in, would have acted the exact same way.
4: It's the standard of the law. And you'll remember one of the mantras that I kept chanting to you guys. Uh, I go to Epps Law number 3. If you act to the standard by which you know you will be judged, you should not be found wanting in the judgment. But if you do not know what those standards are, how can you possibly hope to achieve
0: that? Finally, one, uh, one final thing before we let you go, Mass. Could you settle a, a long standing debate on the show here and talk a little bit about warning shots?
4: <laughs> uh, in the United States, at least, we strongly recommend against warning shots for several reasons. Uh, first off, if you're going to put that shot someplace safe, you're going to have to take the eyes off the person who is so threatening he's forced you to fire that warning shot in the first place. Uh, we had a case just a few years ago uh, in Ohio where a fellow fired his, uh, his muzzle-loading rifle into the air to clear it at the end of the day of hunting. Uh, the bullet came down about a mile away and struck and killed a 15-year-old Amish girl in a carriage. Uh, we had one several years ago in the state of New Hampshire. Uh, a guy in a city fought, raises his gun, blindly fires a warning shot, and killed someone on the upper floor of an apartment building who was standing on their porch. So for you to place that shot where the bullet's not going to cause harm requires you to take your eyes off the threat. That's a fundamental violation of survival tenets. One other thing that's going to happen if you do it like on TV, uh, because let's face it, where do you go to practice firing a warning shot in the air? Uh, there's no safe place to do it. People do it like on TV. They raise the gun a few inches from in the rear and fire, which can not only cause some permanent hearing damage, but right now is going to stun out your ability to hear the small, tiny sounds that in the next few seconds you may need to hear that this guy's accomplice is coming up behind you. Third thing, it creates, it creates the false illusion that you're trying to kill someone that you're not trying to kill. Uh, You've shouted, stop or I'll shoot. Bang. I found in many of the cases that I've done since 1979, there are a lot more ear witnesses who hear the gunfire and hear the shouts and the screams than there are eyewitnesses who actually saw what happened. And the witnesses say, yep, he said he was going to shoot him and then he did. I heard the, I heard him yell and I heard the shot. Uh, that sounds a whole lot more like premeditated murder than a warning shot. if a second later, it becomes necessary for this guy to be seriously shot. Uh, Murphy, there's also Murphy's Law. If is ever going to malfunction, it's probably going to malfunction uh, the warning shot. Uh, because the great world champion, Ray Chapman, God rest his soul, I learned a lot from him. Uh, he used to invoke what he called Chapman's corollary to Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law is, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Chapman's corollary was the likelihood of something going wrong and your weapon failing you will increase in direct proportion to how desperately you need that weapon to work. Finally, if you're going to say five-shot, 38-special, each warning shot is sending 20% of your survival capability somewhere out of the stratosphere. And in an instant, you may need it as directed fire to save your life and the lives of your family. So for all those reasons and more, we strongly recommend against warning shots.
2: Those are all some fantastic reasons, Mass. But all seriousness aside, <laughs> is there? Can, can you say without a doubt there is never a good time to fire a warning shot?
4: You know I can't because I've seen cases where the warning shot did work.
2: All right, that's all we have time for, folks. Thank you very much, Mass. It's uh, been a pleasure. I feel like that was set up.
4: <laughs> Sounds like someone has a different side of the argument. Uh, basically, what, what I've seen is it's almost 50-50. Whether the warning shot makes them realize, oh, crap, they mean it. I better stop now. Or they keep coming at you. Or they go into hyperspeed, a set a land speed record escaping. Uh, There have certainly been cases where it's worked. Uh, I had the privilege of knowing uh, Charles Skelton, Peter Skelton. Uh, When he was uh, a young deputy in Texas, he had one case where a guy with a butcher knife is terrorizing people in a little general store. Charlie walked in the door, drew a Smith & Wesson 44 special, told the guy, drop the knife. And the guy basically says, expletive, deleted, you. Charlie says, drop the knife or I'll have to shoot you. The guy looks at him and says, deleted you. Charlie knew the building. He knew there was nobody in the basement, no basement that, you know, if he fired under on the floor, anybody could be hit. So he put a 250 grain Keith Hardcast semi cutter bullet between that guy's feet and of the floor. And the blast of that shot was almost drowned out by the clatter of the drop knife. <laughs> <laughs> so every now and then it does work. Yeah, but what? When you've got the entire history of so many police, virtually every department in the United States forbids it, and I would expect you'd have something very similar in Canada. the The juries tend to see law enforcement, rightly or wrongly, as the gold standard of decision making with a gun in your hand. When you do something that every cop would be instructed, do not do this. It's unbelievably, expletive deleted, stupid, and you have done it you'll find it's a whole lot easier to justify a warning shot to another shooter on the internet than it's going to be 12 non-gun owners on a jury.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I've uh, it, it, It's sort of the running joke here that this is my hill to die on. I've uh, I've taken a stand for warning shots for whatever reason. It was a long time ago when I first said it, but they won't let me forget it. So I just wanted to make sure that I had an expert say that there, it's possible that I could have been right once. I, I know that I'm perhaps really not, though. Perhaps
4: dull. I should have said remotely possible. <laughs> yes, perhaps. <laughs> Situationally possible. And there are also cases of people who have fallen out of airplanes have survived. This exactly. does not mean that jumping out of the airplane without the parachute <laughs> while it's in midair is a good idea. Exactly.
2: <laughs> that's right.
0: Well, that's great. Uh, Kelly, Adriel, do you have anything for us before we say goodnight?
4: No, it's just no. awesome having yeah.
1: you on. Yeah, thank you for very much for coming on.
4: Yeah. Oh Well, thank you all for having me. It's been great to meet uh, Kelly, Adriel, and Matthew performing by telephone, and hopefully we'll see you at a class sometime.
2: That would be
0: great. Yeah, it would absolutely. Be. Well, thanks for, Thanks again, Mass, for taking the time. And uh, we look forward to hopefully speaking to you again in the future.
4: Thank you. And I wish you and your listeners all the best.
1: And once again, we just wanted to say thank you to, to Mass and for coming on tonight. So, it yeah, was awesome. Yeah, uh, it was awesome. Trevor? Yes. Are you, are you recovered?
0: I think I'll be okay. <laughs> Can I have this first email? Because the person you wrote in this email is yes. probably uh-huh. like second, just behind math for me. Oh, really? Yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it is somebody I'm very much looking forward to meeting and hanging out with. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, not a lot, but we have enough private messages going back and forth uh, on Facebook to... Uh, I, you know, this guy would have been my dream roommate in university, but probably both of us would be in jail today. You
1: would be in so in trouble. <laughs> You're absolutely right.
0: We would be a horrific influence on each other. You, so, yeah. It, yeah, if you haven't already guessed, this email comes to us from Brian Sheets. He's one half of uh, Valkyrie defense, the nicer, kinder, gentler half, but you know, he's still one half nevertheless.
1: Uh, really?
0: Well, okay. he hasn't threatened to kill me. The other guy kind of, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, but it's not like I didn't bring it on on myself. Anyway. Yes,
1: that's true.
0: <laughs> Brian says, hey, guys and gals. I'm a little confused by that last part.
1: Yeah, because it's plural. There's only one gal. Yeah. Anyways.
0: Yeah. Well, go. your awesomeness is enough, too. <laughs> that's what it is.
1: Yeah, all right.
0: So, Brian says, I'm disappointed I missed the live show. Single dad stuff and all. The audio version was enjoyable. The reason I wrote in was to share my, re- my recent experience with new hearing protection I have switched to recently. Mm. At the beginning of the year, I was having a lot of issues with my hearing. As Valkyrie Defense Group's classes have grown in size, I started noticing I was having temporary threshold shift more frequently and a constant ringing in my right ear. After having my right ear go completely dead on me for about three days, ooh, that's not good, after a large class, I realized I needed to do something. I'm only in my 30s. It's not like I'm as old as Trevor where hearing loss is expected. It's not about the age. It's about the abuse I put them through in my university dorm room with 440 watts of stereo. Uh, in the past, I've done what you all have, uh, in the past I have done what you all suggested and worn a set of Howard Light electronic muffs and a set of earplugs underneath. Turns out the cups on mine were so worn and old, they were cracking and not sealing at all. I ended up biting the bullet and buying a pair of MSA Sordan Supreme Pro X's with the with the gel cups. Yes, they are pricey, but they are the most comfortable things I have ever worn. No more end-of-range day headaches. That was common in my old Howard Light muscles. I have worn these nonstop for about 10 hours with zero fatigue. I think Tommy is using the same kind. And, okay. it's def- and you know what? You only have one set of eyes. You only have one set of ears. And when they're gone, they're gone. They have to yeah. be protected. When your hearing loss does not... You don't re- recover from hearing loss. Every time you hear a ringing in your ear, that's the sound of a hair cell dying. The more hair cells you lose the more hearing you lose. You come out of a rock concert, your ears are ringing. That's a tone or a pitch. You're never going to hear again when it's done ringing. That's, that's a hair cell dying. So you've got to protect your hearing.
3: Yeah. And I mean, especially for him where, where he's doing classes, uh, wearing the headphones is a is a part of uh, uh, life quality as well, right? So if his if his headphones are really uncomfortable and he gets headaches because they're squeezing too hard or they're pinching on the uh, on more the band of the glasses or they're ineffective, yeah, you gotta you gotta get something a little bit better. Mm.
1: I had a chance to look those up. Uh, he paid about three hundred bucks for them U.S. So Canadian, they'll be a little bit more, obviously. But yeah, your hearing's worth it, so buy them.
0: Yeah, yeah, def- I mean, yeah. the amount of exposure matters, right?
1: Well, yeah, so. he's there and he has probably about, I know that he's been running bigger classes. Yeah. So if he's got about 15, 20 teachers on the line, he's been doing teachers recently. So, oh, awesome. yeah, so if you got about 15, 20 people and they're all shooting at the same time, yeah. Yeah. So,
0: anyways. Uh, he continues, he says, how are the gel cups, you ask? Imagine having your ears wrapped in <laughs> You laughed before I said it. <laughs> I'm not even sure if they heard. I need to read that line again.
1: I'll be it myself.
0: How are the gel cups, you ask? Imagine having your ears wrapped in boobs. Remember, cup size matters. The other bonus about gel cups is that they are replaceable, unlike the Howard Light brand. You get you, you get tired of those old boobs wrapped around your head. Trader, uh, trader, eh? Trade them in for a new model. The seal is amazing. Uh, I was able to go back... Uh, to only wearing muffs alone while indoors. The biggest bonus is they're digital, so you can hear the talking even while gunfire is going off. Some call it technology. I call it witchcraft. I would, yeah, that is crazy because normally it cuts out, right? So you can hear the voices, but not the gunfire. Yeah, some of them will compress instead of do a cutout. Right. Yeah, the $300 ones.
3: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, those, uh, those $80 ones I have do the compression thing. Oh, really? But
0: do they feel like your ears are wrapped in boobies? Mm, (laughs) I I would hold just a little bit short of saying that. See, I go premium for that. If my ears feel like they're wrapped in boobies, you know. I wonder how... Never mind, we're moving on. Again, thanks for the show, and I'll include a link below for the Sordans. Brian Sheets, Valkyrie Defense Group. Yeah. Yeah, I'll throw that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Yeah,
1: they're nice. Very nice. They don't look like boobs, but they're nice. You
3: didn't say they look like boobs. Said, Your ears feel like they're wrapped
0: in boobs.
1: <sighs>
3: the gel cups are really nice, but I think they're
0: forty or fifty bucks just by just on I their just own. I think it would be awkward just to try and motorboat motorboat and shoot at the same time. God. <laughs> See. See what happens when Matthew's not here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, forty-four dollars oh. for the gel
3: cups and inserts. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But do they but- have an underwire? <laughs> oh, okay.
1: <gasps> All right. Uh, Adriel, do you want to take uh, Archie Perry, please?
3: You bet. Hello, Slamfire Radio. As your listeners may well be aware, my city of Fort McMurray has suffered a major wildfire event that has sent the city reeling. Mandatory evacuations forced out most residents midday on Tuesday, May 2nd, and mayhem ensued as... 80,000 people scrambled to safety north or south on the only highway out. So, I mean, this, this is the case with Fort McMurray. There's only one highway going in and out, and that's that's it. So, 80,000 people is, is too many people to try to move out on that, uh, that many roads. As a member of an organization tasked to help during this crisis, I was able to stay behind rather than evacuate, but not to go home. My neighborhood was the second to be attacked by fire in in McMurray, and one of those that was the most substantially hit. They say 70% of the homes there uh, were destroyed. Uh, included in that number is my home and gun, and my gun, gun collection. The worst is that I had guns in my aluminum gun cabinet that I have never shot. Never had the chance. Now they're gone. The, co- the cabinet's gone too. $5,000 uh, or 5,000 rounds of ammo gone, not sure. Uh, I'm very interested in getting back there to sift through the ashes and see what remnants I can find. I'm worried about heavy metals in the ash, such as lead. I wonder how the CFC uh, will want me to prove my guns were lost in the fire.
0: got to jump in right there, Adriel. Yeah. Um, Muffin's house burned, and he lost an air lower, uh-huh. and my advice to Archie is get... At all of your correspondence recorded to the Canadian Firearms Center about this. Muffin only did it on the phone uh-huh. and he's never gotten anything from them. He just called and said, had a fire, lost an air, needed taken off the books. Nothing. They've not called them back and asked for a report from the fire department. They've not called him and asked for the RCMP. Nothing. As far as he knows, and he's kind of not always the most motivated individual, so he hasn't followed up like he should. Mm-hmm. Um young guy, whatever, you know, he's letting it go, but it could come back and butt him in the butt. Someday they may come looking for that gun. Or maybe they're just really understanding,
3: it. really trusting. They just said, Oh, okay, uh, we'll believe you.
0: Pretty I much, Adriel, <laughs> but that doesn't fly for me. You know, I need I need yeah. some time there's gotta be a process for this.
1: Well, I'm thinking because of the fact that there were so many homes lost, that there will be a process <laughs> that they're going to, obviously, guess,
0: right? Yeah. So again, though, well, get it all again. in get it all in writing, Archie. Make sure that you do it through email, um, registered letters. I don't know. Just make sure you cover your butt with written paper trail, some correspondence.
3: There's going to be a lot of people there because Fort Mac, uh, a lot of those guys do have guns, and uh, yeah. there's going be, like there's a lot of houses lost. I think the number I heard was uh, sixteen hundred. So
0: yeah.
2: there's a lot. There's I, going to be
3: a lot in there that uh, that are going to be gun owners.
0: I got a former student who graduated a couple of years ago, and he's out there working, and he's home right now because he's temporarily...
1: Homeless?
0: Yeah, he is homeless. He lost his home. He thinks his truck is gone. Um, his company is either Suncord or Syncrude. I'm not sure which one. They're mm-hmm. paying all the men yep. uh, eight, uh, 40 hours a week, yep. eight hours yep. a day, even though they're not working. They're not yep. making any overtime or anything, but they're, they're still getting paid, so that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he told me the you were talking about that one highway in and out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. You had to go slow because of all the wildlife constantly crossing black bears and deer up and down the road the entire time they were evacuating Mm -hmm. so that was insane
1: yeah they were running from the fire too right yep (laughs) yeah
0: yeah and i'll
1: just
3: continue here Uh, i wonder if i can find a blackened fire scarred receiver they will insist that i turn into them rather than throwing it out further i was in the process of renewing my pal when this all happened and when i tell them i have no home i wonder how they'll handle that information uh, many people have been sending donation money to the Red Cross. Uh, Trudeau said that the Canadian government will match uh, donations to the Red Cross. I can tell you, I have not seen a single person or vehicle from the Red Cross in the evacuated areas. Um, now, they're they're working in Edmonton here. Um, I know because they're they're actually asking for people who were affected uh, in Edmonton here. But given that Archie's in Fort McMurray, um, he, the only thing he's seen and he just mentions it here is the Salvation Army. Uh, so he's, he's, he continues here. You know who I have seen? Salva- Salvation Army has been here. They clothed me when I had no clothes, fed me when I had no food, and they are here supporting those of us who haven't uh, left at their own potential risk. The best part of this organization is when the disaster goes away, they'll still be here helping the homeless and others in need. Where will the Red Cross go? If you're going to donate, please send it to the Salvation Army. They're number one in my books. Uh, Finally, I'm going to have to cancel on the shoot we had planned uh, this coming summer. Something's come up. Regards, Archie Perry.
0: Well, Archie, as far as that goes, you're already paid. And if you lost your gun, I will get you a gun. I will make sure you have a gun there um, and we will raise money to get you ammo. If anyone wants to help Archie out, Archie's been listening to Matthew and I podcasts since Canadian Reload Radio. Obviously, he's been with Kelly and, and Adriel since they joined the show. He's a loyal mm-hmm. listener. Super nice gunny. If anyone would like to help Archie, you can send a donation to the show through um, an EMT to Radio at gmail.com. And uh, maybe the listeners can buy him a gun. Guys yep. lost everything. When yep. Muffin lost everything, <laughs> man, the gunnies rallied around Muffin. He was getting guns left, right, and center, and new furniture, and clothing, and cash, and so listeners, you know, I know he's probably not the only gunny in Fort uh-huh. Mac, right? But he's one of ours. He's been with the show forever. He's kind of a friend of the show, and so um, if you can, you know, flip a couple of bucks our way, and we'll start a little collection, and we'll get it to uh, we'll get it to Archie, and maybe we can. Replace one of his firearms, but don't back out of the course yet, Archie. It's still several months away, and we're not giving you your money back, so you might as well figure it out. No, no
1: well, refunds. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean um, we have, we'll yeah, we'll okay, we'll be able maybe, to figure something out. Yeah, yeah. When yeah, you should probably talk to Matthew. <laughs> yeah, okay. So on that note, this is from Ross. Um, it was a follow-up text that he sent. Uh, apparently, the FBI has. Uh, pre-selected the Sig uh, P320. As you know, RFPs can be crafted to to eliminate what you do not want. Here are the reviews of the pistols excluded uh, via RFP language. And he gave us a whole big list of them. And uh, he said, how the FBI RFP uh, disqualifies most. So the Glock 17 and 19, it's disqualified because of the finger grooves on frame. Uh, the Smith & Wesson MP p 9 millimeter disqualified trigger pull is 6.5 pounds. Barrel length is 4.25. Uh, and Smith & Wesson M&P 9C disqualified barrel length is 3.5. And capacity is only 12. So you guys, yes. uh, do you know what he's talking about? The RFP disqualifies most. Uh, can you give us mm-hmm. a little so bit more expand RF- on that?
3: Yeah, an RFP is a request for right. proposal. And it's right. uh, a set of requirements that you put out uh, for companies to bid on uh, your uh, business so they're okay. saying we're looking for a new pistol in nine millimeter uh here's a whole bunch of requirements and the, and the requirements are such that only the pistol they really want is going to qualify
1: <laughs> so yeah
3: because they can't so, outrightly say we really like the sig p320 we want it they have to say we need something that doesn't have <laughs> finger grooves and is of this particular barrel length and has this particular capacity and uh and eventually they'll get there right
1: Yep. So they also excluded the H and K VP9, and it was disqualified because of the finger grooves again. Mm-hmm. Uh, had lever mach- uh, magazine release and barrel length is uh, four point zero nine. The H and p P30 again disqualified because of the capacity of only fifteen. Uh, D and D A S A action. So what is D A S A?
0: Double action, single action. So single action. action.
1: So, yeah. yeah. So finger grooves on the uh, frame, uh, Ruger SR9. It was the barrel length is four point one. Uh, no compact model or adjustable frame sizes. That's
0: not true. It does have a compact model. The Ruger SR9 has the Ruger SR9C. Hmm. Now adjustable frame sizes. Mm, okay. There's there are very there. few guns out there that have adjustable frame sizes. Most well, of I them think, do a grip. Yeah, and the see you've got the. Um, the back straps on the Glock and the of course the VP9 is ridiculously adjustable but um uh the uh, all the Ruger has is that little uh, rubber back strap in the back that's more like a uh, it goes from a, a hump to a straight back like a 1911 it's kind of mm-hmm. like the mainspring housing on a 1911 you either have a straight one or a humped one mm-hmm. or sorry mm-hmm. arched
1: arched yes yeah. So he goes on to say, Springfield XD9 is disqualified because of grip safety. See,
0: that's the stupidest feature on a striker-fired <laughs> pistol ever. <laughs> it
1: is grip safety, barrel length at 4.0. Again, the Springfield X D M is disqualified because of uh, grip safety. Uh, the Walther PPX is disqualified because of the finger grooves on the frame and trigger pull is only 6.5 pounds. Only. Walther- well, it,
0: is it because it's too light or because it's too heavy? One or the I other.
1: Yeah, I think, I don't know.
0: Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't actually say only, so.
1: Uh, I don't know. Anyways, maybe only 6.5. I don't know if it's a service revolver, right? Not revolver. Pistol, yeah. Pistol. 6.5 is pretty light, isn't it? Um, mm.
0: Not anymore. It used to be. like I mean, some of them are ridiculous. Like there's a the New York one trigger. It's like 8 pounds and then 12 pounds. And the RCMP is like 12 pounds. Mm-hmm. So 6.5 is not light, but I mean, the Glock is going to come in at
1: 5.5. Okay. Again, Walter PPQ M2, the capacity is only 15, so they did have only in there <laughs> and finger grooves on the frame. The Walter PP9 was disqualified because of the finger grooves on the frame, uh, lever magazine release and capacity only 15. The FNS9. Sorry, it was disqualified. Trigger oh, <laughs> trigger pull up to 7.7 7, uh, pounds. Barrel length is 4.0. Uh, no size uh, changes for the frame. Uh,
0: yeah, see, there's only, like, there you go, Adriel. There's only one gun that will give you all the frame mm-hmm. size options, and that is currently the P320. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So the FNX 9 was disqualified. Qualified because of the uh, decocking lever. Uh, The barrel is 4.0, and no size changes, again, for the frame. The Beretta 9M, or sorry, M9, uh, double action, single action, uh, and its capacity is only 15. External manual safety. And It's not the 90s anymore. Yeah, and I had this one, the Beretta PX4, external manual safety, barrel length is 4.0, and it's a double action, single action.
0: Yeah, but you know what? They they really were being... Picky because the Beretta PX4 that the Canadian Border Services Agency carry
1: mm-hmm.
0: has no external safety, no external decocker. A bobbed hammer like the RCMP's Smith and Wesson has a bobbed hammer. Mm-hmm. It has a double action only trigger like the Sig P250. So there are options out there to meet their needs on that particular model.
1: This is true. Yes.
0: However, it is a four inch barrel.
1: Yes. And then you have the CZ seventy five SP one. It's double action, single action, external manual safety. And the CZ, see, I said Z, uh, PO yep. <laughs> PO nine is disqualified because of double action, single action, external manual safety, decocker.
0: Hmm. So they went with the Sig P three twenty, the king of flipperosity.
1: Yep. Oh, hey. Okay.
0: Yep, it's simple. I think that the the
3: training there, th- there's there's some advantages to that one in terms of uh, disassembly and yep. in training. Now, I th- I think they really should have just spec'd out all the striker fired pistols, uh, run a scorecard on them to see which one was was really it, instead of having a crappy RFP that uh, that just says we just want the 320.
1: That's basically what you want to do. You write it so that you get the pistol you want.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, for, for a law enforcement or duty sidearm, the, the PIG, I always do that. The <laughs> SIG P320 is wicked. The, That's a nice gun. The fact that you can have a small, medium, and large frame, you can have, there's four sizes. Like, carry there's full-size, carry, compact, subcompact. They've got an extra one in there they call carry, which is probably the one that they're going to go with. Um, the that That frame whole modular system. I mean, you pull out, it take the slide off and then you pull out the takedown lever and the the internal part of the gun with the serial number is, comes out in this small little tiny compact unit. You can clean off with a toothbrush. The striker assembly is a little more intricate than any other one I've seen, but not unreasonable. Uh, it's a sig. It's quality throughout. It really is. I just, the grip angle wasn't for me and the high bore axis wasn't for me. But if I worked for an agency and they gave me that gun, I'd get used to it pretty quick. Don't worry. It is a fantastic firearm. Yep.
1: We know a few people who have it.
0: So. Mm-hmm. I've had two. Just, oh, have you? Yeah, I bought oh, I one brand that. new. Yeah, last year when I was buying a striker-fired pistol a month, I bought one. <laughs> and then, you know, if I needed some cash, I knew it would sell. Boom, gone. Mm-hmm. And then I found another one, bought it, kept it for a little while, and John Allen bought it. And Snuffleupagus, he's in love with it. Matt Lorette bought one for Ipsic. Now, Matt Lorette doesn't keep a gun more than, like, 16 <laughs> hours. And he's had it for quite a while now. So he but must like it. He does. And they've come up with um, Matt uh, Max Michelle is a professional shooter in the States who shoots for SIG. And he won a steel challenge with it. And then they started to tweak it even more. They put better sights on it. They've put a better trigger on it. And they have a, a competition frame now. So the not only do you have the all the different size frames they changed the grip angle. they changed the trigger guard. I mean, you're molded plastic, how hard is it to carve out a new mold and completely redesign the gun for a more competitive type feel? You could so. you could
3: show up to uh, a competition, give Max Michel, I don't know, a one, of those, one of those 12-pound Glocks, and he would yep. still womp everyone.
2: <laughs> well,
0: Max Michel and Travis Tomasi are androids. I just haven't really proven it yet, but it's a theory I'm working on oh the, the he's got a couple of youtube videos where he does like
3: shooting reload and then shoot some more and it's just unbelievably fast
0: yeah max michelle with a glock no less shoots a popper reloads and hits it again before it falls
1: <laughs> kind of like adriel with his uh you know with his shotgun there oh, in seven it, no, seconds <laughs> <laughs>
0: very impressive yeah yeah, now I very gotta very go impressive. now. Now, okay, we went paradise versus paradise, but my paradise is gone, so now I gotta take you on with my Versamax. <laughs> okay, bring it on. That a boy. Right. <laughs> it ain't got to it. trigger. It's gotta be video
3: or it didn't happen. Yeah, well, on the clock. I don't have a clock. Uh, use
2: it.
1: You, yeah, you need the clock in the little corner, you know, you need to superimpose it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if uh, you would like to email us, you can and actually issue a challenge to Trevor and Adriel on shotguns. Uh, email us at slamfireradio at gmail.com. So, any iTunes reviews, you guys? I
0: don't know. I haven't heard from Stacy in like a week.
1: Mm, yeah, no, I don't think week. we've gotten any. We'd like to hear from you all as well on iTunes. You can leave us a five star rating. Uh, right now, we have had 128 five star ratings. That's a lot.
0: Mm hmm. That 99. Is. Sorry? That is.
1: It is. Uh, and if you make it funny, uh, we'd actually might even read it on the show. So, yeah, give us a shout out on there. Speaking of shout outs, anybody got any shout outs?
0: Yes. Um, to Derek at the Fredericton Gun Shop, thank you very much. Uh, Chris for checking out my 308 and tuning the trigger for me, thank you very much. Jazz, thank you for the awesome bench made knife. He sold me a knife. Did he? Yeah, brand new Benchmade knife that he had and, and never bought. I absolutely love it. I got a smoking deal on it. I saved about 50 bucks buying it from him than if I had bought it in a Canadian hmm. store. So that was sweet. Um, he insists that part of the discount is I'm required to stick it into one of Brian Bolivar's tires. <laughs> so I fully intend to comply with that. Um, Brian what else?
1: You can leave your car at my place during the charity shoot. I will drive you to the range.
0: Yeah, you're going to have to. <laughs> so All
1: that's, right.
0: that's it for me.
1: Okay. Uh, Adriel, do you have one?
0: No, nothing for me.
1: Okay. Uh, I have one. Mine is for Jasmine. I was talking to him the other night, and I just wanted to say great talking to you, and I'm looking forward to your next episode of <laughs> Quebec Radio. He's going to get one out, he yeah. said.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> and it I give up, man. I'll believe it when I see it. I've lost the faith.
1: Uh, I, I I've been restored. my My faith in him has been restored.
0: Uh, mine will be when I hear his show.
1: <laughs> okay. Is
0: he coming to the cherry shoot? Yeah, he is. I'll be nice now. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, because he's gonna
0: bring, uh, bring a bring a microphone. Yes. Yeah. The microphone. Then he then bring
3: he him. he has to record one. Exactly. Yeah, he
1: does. <laughs> All right. So on that note, uh, you know. Join one of our National Firearms Associations, such as the CCFR. You know, be a member. I got my membership in the mail today, so you can get yours too. Or the CSSA. And, you know, it's really important to support them and join them because they actually do support us, just like they did with the uh, the AR-15 petition. So also check us out on Gun Owners of Canada and give us a like on Facebook. We are at 1,427 likes on Facebook. So that's awesome. We have 97 thumbs up. Five gold stars, and we're still counting them. So they haven't changed recently. So give us a couple of gold stars. We got two fle- flukes and two manatee flippers, and we need some other aquatic mammal. send us <laughs>
0: send us gel cups,
1: gel, gel cups, gel <laughs> cups. <laughs> and that. Uh, so any words of wisdom, you guys?
0: Send oh, us gel cups. I just wanted to
3: mention our uh, our live stream episode from last. A week got 200 views on YouTube.
1: Oh. Really? Yeah. So
0: obviously they hate us.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, check us out on YouTube too. Oh,
0: and we I've been asked a couple of times, I don't know if you if you two have, uh, whether or not we're going to make that a regular thing. So if for some silly reason they want to look at us, <laughs> um, let us know. Maybe we can do one live one a month, maybe?
3: Yeah,
1: yeah I kind
0: of like cool. to do like show and tell with guns and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, me too.
1: Yeah. Mm. So do you guys want to talk about um, maybe who we're going to have on next week? People
2: oh, can that's right. Yeah. It.
0: Since we did such a great job promoting the Masada Ube episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I've asked um, RJ from Fire Art. Ar-
1: I'll do it for you. Fire Art Solutions tra- <clears throat> Training Fast. Man,
0: I know Thank it, you. though. I had it right a while ago. It's not even all that complicated. Fire Arts Solution Training Academy. No, it's fast.
1: It's fast. Fire so it's Fire arts. Art. Solutions, solutions with the S on the end. Training. Training. One more time. fire arts. Sorry, fire (laughs) arts solutions training. Now you got me doing
0: it. Now he's not going to come on the show. No. RJ is a friend of the show. He's somebody that we've trained with, and now he is branching out, and um, he is doing his own training. He has the Fire Arts Solutions Training Academy. He's teaching classes around Ontario, and when he's not teaching a class, he's taking a class. listeners may remember a couple of, probably about a month or a month and a half now. Going back, we had Daniel Shaw and one of his partners on from Active Killer Defense Training. Well, RJ went and took the class. And it was really exciting when Shaw was here talking about it. But I've asked RJ to come on and tell us all about it. So that'll be next week.
1: Mm -hmm. Hmm. That'll be good. And he can mm-hmm. give us an update on... He's going to be at the charity shoot, too. He's going on the Friday. He's
0: teaching a class.
1: He's teaching a class. So guess what? Yeah, I'm going to it. it. Yeah, I know. Mm, sounds seems to be like a pattern for you. No, it's... it's a, <laughs> what? Who? <laughs> I only bailed once.
0: What have I bailed on? Hello? Charity, the apple seed. What else? Yes. What else? So uh. we're one for one.
1: <laughs> well, you're not going to be at the fire... Solutions training handgun fundamental and. it's not like I said ur- I was going to go and didn't pistol. go. That's true.
0: You know, I got I got I got my CCFR didn't commitments.
1: You, didn't you bail on two apple seeds though this year's and last year's?
0: This year, really much more than last year because the date was picked <laughs> around me.
1: Yeah, it was around. <laughs> yeah, Adriel, yeah. did you know that it was around him and we froze? And he our bailed. And I bailed. Butts off. Yeah. And he bailed. Anyways,
0: I have huh? really, really patient and understanding friends who I appreciate very much.
1: Yeah. And on that note... Good night! Yeah, Good, night. Right. Good night. So if you have any comments or questions for the show please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com
0: Now go grab a gun and shoot something.
2: When the talking is over It's time to get a gun
0: Greatest yeah, day of good. my
2: life, uh, except for, you know, graduating Getting May
1: Getting married? Oh,
2: I no, no, say. graduating May <laughs> 40. No, it still has to do with mass. It sure does. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, shit. <laughs> hey, look, you, you can't say I'm not vindicated now. Come on. I don't even want to talk to you. The balls on you. The
0: big brass balls that you went there at Masada you and pulled it off. And pulled it off. <laughs> I call you sir. <laughs> just, just this one time, but I'll take it.